here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Drop Zone, coming to you on a Monday morning from the parking lot of a Carl's Jr. adjacent the LAX airport. Sean, how are we? Good. I wish that wasn't true, but everything you just said is factually accurate. We are in a Carl's Jr. parking lot outside LAX, soon flying home from beautiful Genesis Invitational. Yeah, the vibes are medium. This is definitely one of these places where, you know, cabbies... Uh, take a nap in between shifts. It's a, it's a disproportionately large parking lot considering I don't think you can even eat inside at the Carl's Jr. It's basically just a drive-through slash, I don't know, you can make some weird handoffs here. Anyway, a big week in the golf world. We want to buzz through a couple things quickly and then uh, and then eventually tell you about an interview with Steve Williams that our friend Evan Priest has conducted. But Sean, The two big stories of the week. Number one, the Saudi Golf League is dead or maybe not so dead. How about number two? It is undead. The second story of the week is just another beautiful week at Riviera Country Club. You, me, Claire Rogers, Zephyr Melton, just about half the Golf.com staff. We're in L.A. this week soaking in the sun, and uh, we'll tell you all about that this week. Sean, first we should tell the folks that this podcast is sponsored by Radmore Golf. And we broke out the Radmore gear at Riviera this week. Got some rave reviews, honestly. Yeah, we were sponsored last week, but I finally felt sponsored this week. (laughs) I finally got the Radmore gear in my hands. And honestly, (laughs) this is not a joke. Immediately upon entry uh, at the media center, people were asking me about it. Yeah, what is this? A little bit of jealousy. this cool new brand? Radmore is a Seattle-based Uh, apparel startup who basically took a look at the game of golf and said we need to do better 95 percent more sustainable that's that's where they're starting um we are sean as people know an anti-microplastics podcast uh the world's first sustainable golf podcast Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm currently wearing an extremely comfortable radmore hoodie we've got some matching hats on uh, life is good in Radmore gear, so go to radmoregolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com uh, and check out the gear today. Let's start with our week. At the Genesis Invitational in L.A., it is one of my favorite events every single year because it, it falls perfectly during maybe the worst time of year to be in Seattle, the worst time of year to be in Chicago. Um LA was gorgeous all week. I love Riv. Players love Riv. I don't know if there's another course on tour that hosts an event every single year that gets more love from tour players than Riviera Country Club. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I totally, totally is. And it's funny. I mean, it's set off your skeptic meter. Yeah. I can tell <laughs> early in the week. You're like, why does everyone like this place so much? Like, almost, almost suggesting, okay, if everyone believes that, then they must be missing something. But, no, they're not missing anything. They're just correct. I mean, it's it's a breathtaking place to spend time. Uh, I mean, Riviera, for people that haven't been there, most of the golf course is set in a little canyon in between, uh, I guess, just mega houses. Yeah, where I think the pretty it's people old, live. It's an old uh, riverbed, basically. And, I mean, what everyone is so enamored 
by at Riviera is just the fact that you can have a course that doesn't really have water, doesn't really have hazards, doesn't really have out of bounds, doesn't have a ton of uh, natural features. You're not playing along the, the ocean or cliffs or anything like that. Uh, and yet it's still spectacular. You know what it has? Great trees. Shot value. When tour players say this extremely vague phrase called shot value, that this course has all of it. Very difficult tee shots, tee shots that I guess off, you know, basically off the clubhouse on number one, shots that require a draw, require a fade, shots that require you to play under trees if you've missed the fairway. Like it just has value to it that, like I said, it's a vague phrase that a lot of tour players say, and it doesn't always make a lot of sense, but this course has it. What did you enjoy about Riviera this week? Well, I mean, it actually wasn't that fun of a tournament, frankly. Joaquin Neiman goes out and shoots 800 on the first day, 800 on the second day, kind of walks to the championship at some point. Like Walks? Joaquin Neiman walks his way into the championship. Like, he was just, it was easy. It didn't feel like he was ever stressed. And that's not necessarily fun tournament golf to watch. Cameron Young played arguably the best tournament of his entire life. It wasn't good enough, and it was never quite close enough. So yeah. that wasn't that great. Um, I think you're selling that short, first of all, though. Just just because, you know, A, it did get close on Sunday. It's hard to win any golf tournament. And also the leaderboard behind Neiman was spectacular. You had, you had all the... All the regulars, all the usual suspects in the mix, except for John Rahm, actually, who, uh, you know, it may be done. Yeah, he shot over par in the second round, which is really bad. But anyway, I interrupted you. Your favorite part of Riv. My favorite part of Riv is the amphitheater on 18. Um, I think I take a photo of it, like, every single day that I'm out there. It doesn't really change its appearance at all. And it looks best Sunday when the leaders are finishing, but it is it is a natural amphitheater. You don't have a lot of natural amphitheaters in in the PG on the PGA Tour. I, I, they create a pretty epic uh, amphitheater, like on 17 at Sawgrass. Mm-hmm. But there's stands everywhere. Like this is natural. You have people. There's not a lot of places in golf where you can take a nap. You can watch the best players in the world. You can do a little sunbathing. That ha- like right behind eighteen. That is the best place to watch golf. Maybe pre Augusta on the tour yeah. schedule. What's interesting is I think that there are two golf courses on the PGA Tour that players have seem to have a general consensus that they are the two that stand out. Yeah, this is one at Riviera. The other one is uh, Muirfield Village in Ohio, uh, where they have the memorial and another natural another amphitheater. great natural amphitheater behind eighteen. Great spot for a nap for a snack. Uh, to hang out, enjoy the good weather. So I don't know, maybe there's something to that. We would we would be remiss if we didn't mention that we have an audience today in the car. Claire Rogers is very quietly hanging out in the back seat. Claire, why Not don't you anymore. why don't you tell us what was your favorite part of the week at Riv? Hello everyone. Um well, I have to first say my real favorite part was hanging out with Dylan and Sean all week. They kind of showed me the ropes. This was my first time going to a tour event with other people at golf.com so i had gone to the cj cup but was kind of like by myself for the week i think being Mm -hmm. able to walk with your friends inside the ropes hang out in the flash zone was really cool i'd never really been like up close like that kind of 
Doing behind, some reporting. Yeah, behind the scenes, I think, was kind of the coolest part for me. You were doing some mingling with some wags? Did I, oh, did I yes. see that? I did name drop my friend Dylan over here to Erica Herman, Tiger's longtime girlfriend. And she could not have been nicer. She gave me a hug. I met Jenna Sims. I was standing around with a lot of just people, like faces you kind of see on TV, Mm -hmm. but people that I had never actually seen up close and personal before. Will they remember Claire Rogers? Who doesn't, Sean? (laughs) Very fair. All right, Dylan, how about your favorite part of the week? Oh, man, my favorite part of the week? Well, I guess just the drama of all of the 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 behind-the-scenes action. I mean, it felt like... It felt like golf was relevant this mm-hmm. week in a in a really strange way. Yes. Um, I mean, there were stories in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, and you know, on on cable news shows talking golf about mattered this week about golf. Um, and th- I mean, th- this will get us into our our next uh, topic of conversation. But it it was just kind of fun, I guess, to have something else going on, and I don't. I think fun is actually a horrible word to have just used there, but it was um, it was interesting. It felt uh, elevated, and it felt like because of this, you know, outside threat, then the PGA Tour event itself got um, elevated, got got more important. I wonder is it is that the Tiger effect? Like I don't like to say that because the guy's not playing in the tournament. It's definitely the Tiger effect, but it oh, really yeah. is. I mean, ESPN pays attention. You have Genesis Invitational highlights shown every single night of the week, and I don't think you have that for every single tour event. And, no, but and I think it's the Saudi thing. I think it's the the Tiger thing for sure that it's his event. Um, you've got good pros turning up, obviously, um, and then also, well, I mean, the the Sports Center thing seems specifically connected to you know ESPN Plus, LA, um, <laughs> LA, yeah, yeah, the stars that were out this week, yeah. Um, okay, so Sean, let's talk about the Saudi Golf League because it was the cloud over the event this week. I t- I texted my boss that I texted numerous people. It felt weird, um, basically at the jump of the week where we know that the Saudi backed league it's coming. It's going to happen in some variety at some point. Some all right. Well, let me let me pause you there because yesterday when you know, statements started being released uh, when Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau came out via the tour and said, guys, we're we're with the tour. We stand with the tour. Um, a lot of people took that to mean this thing's kind of dead in the water. Yeah. Rory McIlroy went so far as to, to basically say, yeah, they've got no one left. It's not really going to happen. I don't Are think you that, telling me that that's not quite accurate? I don't think it's as accurate as Gulf Twitter will make it seem. I think, of course, it is accurate. The PGA Tour got a lot of momentum in this tug of war this past week. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the week, when I said it was a cloud over the tournament, what I meant is that every player that had a press conference or that was doing you know, any speaking in front of reporters was being asked about it. And they were almost ubiquitously saying, yes. I, my, John Rahm used my fealty. A lot of players use the word allegiance. You asked Max Homa, where does your allegiance lie? And he's like, I have not even been approached by the Saudi Gulf League. I could not be more aligned with the PGA Tour. So everyone's talking about it. That's why it became a cloud over the event. That's why when Joaquin Neiman, a guy who doesn't a whole, say a whole lot, has like a three-shot lead out after 36 holes, we wouldn't talk about anything else. 
besides the Saudi Golf League. So what what me what I mean when I say that it's not dead is that I think a lot of players from where I stand are positioning themselves in an appropriate way where they can move in any direction. Mm-hmm. They've been actually doing this for months. There has been a ton of players say what Bryson said this week. It's been the the kind of go-to quote. If you're not Rory or or Spieth or Tiger, it's kind of been, I will play where the best players play. Justin mm-hmm. Thomas said it on a podcast in November. Justin Thomas said some derivative of it recently, and, and that's exactly what Victor Hovland said earlier this week, and that's exactly what Bryson DeChambeau came out and said in his post. And Dustin Johnson's wording was a little bit different, but not ultimately too different. So that that is the positioning that allows these players to say, well, if you know, if suddenly Hovland signs a deal, then I think I might join him. They're they're going they're going to yeah. There's going to be a moment where more names will come out. There is a certain number of players that have been signed to this point that have actually been paid money. Yeah, so I think this like, is it important. has happened to some extent. So yeah. it's not dead. Just because Rory says it is, but man, it feels like it could be. It took some hits. Awfully irrelevant, no doubt. It took some hits. Like there could be more dominoes that fall in the PGA Tour's favor in the coming weeks. But as far as I knew, contract negotiations were and have been happening over the course of weeks. Mm-hmm. Like there was, according to people with the Saudi Golf League a substantial number of players who were very close to signing. So, like, if anything can get quite there, that doesn't mean that this has made it retreat super far away from where it once was. So that's all I'm saying. Like, the PGA Tour has momentum on this front right now. The PGA Tour is having a mandatory players meeting tomorrow night mm-hmm. down at the Honda. Like, Jay Monahan has a little bit of house money right now. He's got Brooks Kepka in his pocket. That's a big, very talkative player to have. Like, they're winning the tug of war battle this week. They'll probably win it through the players. But these background like deals and meetings are happening at the majors wherever the all the agents can align. Some of them were happening this week. Like it's not fully dead. So we can talk about it as if it took a hit, but we can't talk about it as if it's done done done. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> Reports of the Saudi Golf League's demise, Sean Zock says... They're premature. Somewhat exaggerated. Um, look, I think that you're... I think you're you're right. And I think that the discourse has turned to the point where everyone is just like, you know, that, that's going to go away. And it's not just going to go away. I mean, when you're talking about spending, I don't know, a billion dollars making something happen and you can't get exactly <laughs> what you want, it's, it's probably not like you're just going to take your money and and completely go home no i mean look you even you look at a guy that won this event who's considered a rising star of the pga tour joaquin neiman his name has certainly been thrown around as as someone that could potentially be going to the new league he didn't Um, say anything notice how he positioned himself he was asked multiple times hey waco you know where do you stand it was mark schleba who asked him on on thursday afternoon it was as simple as, where do you stand on all the Saudi stuff? He said, I just don't really want to comment on it at yeah. all. I'm like, okay, does that sound like someone who maybe signed an NDA? Potentially. Does that sound like someone who is young and could be a future of the PGA Tour who just wants to make sure he doesn't support the wrong thing? Yeah, it could be that as well. Yeah. And, and look, there's also like, 
always want to be kind of sensitive to the fact that a young golfer who's for whom English is not his first language is not going to want to wade into thorny issues like that. But there's also definitely more to it just from, you know, conversations that we've had. So, all right, Sean, what's next then for the Saudi league? Where do they go from here? That is, is confusing to me because one of the jewels in their pocket is the reigning PGA champion, Phil Mickelson, right? Like Phil Mickelson has been so closely aligned to this and the reporting by Alan Shipnuck from November, technically, like that, that was a huge, the breaking news of the week that the New York Times wrote off and the Washington Post wrote off of. And so Phil has gone radio silent. Phil has not tweeted in the last seven days. He's, he's not liked uh, tweets at the rate in which he likes tweets. Now mm-hmm. he, he's liking you know tweets by the PGA Tour. Usually he likes to chop it up, get in the replies, talk about this stuff with people. He was doing it as recently as a week ago when Charlie Hoffman was hopping off. So Phil is the most confusing part of all this because he's in theory supposed to be the leader. How do you move forward with a leader who's gone silent? I guess he was vacationing up in Montana skiing. We'll give him the benefit of maybe wanting to be off the grid a little bit, but I don't, you know, Phil's never wanted to really be off the grid. Um, especially since he took to Twitter. So on the Phil front, I don't know anything. Yeah. Elsewhere. I think a lot of the reports that like no laying up has said about the courses being a couple different Trump courses, Philly cricket club, you know, that stuff is pretty spot on. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think, you know, what Alan necessarily reported about the players being a launch date for this league is necessarily going to happen. You know, all of this stuff is so fluid, right? It it is extremely fluid. Every player has a different agent. Every player that is in contract negotiations is at different points in the negotiation. You know, there, there's certain, um, there's a difference between what Adam Scott wants and what Bryson wants. That's just the truth. So how does this league bend towards both of those dudes to get them involved? Um, I would be much more shocked if anything happened in terms of a launch before the Masters and um, or announcing names before mm-hmm. the Masters. And I would be I'd be much more expecting things to like not conflict with major season. Like I I know initially there was like. A lot of people saying, oh, this is going to start in June. There's going to be an event in June. So, yep. you know, they got to announce names soon. I'm thinking <laughs> that's just way too early. If, if you don't have names before the Masters, if you don't have courses and details shared before the Masters, you're not going to have fans go. Like, like the, you kind of end up backlogging um, or at least pushing back the calendar a little bit. And I just think... It would be too much to conflict with the major season, and I think maybe closer to the fall things will end up. If if they become reality, that's when it would happen. Claire. Is your head spinning, Claire? Claire, what were your observations on the Saudi discourse this week from on the ground? Um, I think – I don't want to say it was a distraction, but I think that that was the main point of the week. It was That was the question that everyone was getting asked, and it almost seemed like – it was just a formality of how did your, did your round go before <laughs> yes. jumping into the, all right, now what we're really here the for. The real juice. You we were kind of like buttering up the players a little bit. The real Taking them goss. to dinner before getting into it. Um, so that was, I was almost surprised by that because I'm like, all right, this is Tiger's event. There's going to be a lot of talk about that. But 
even Tiger came in. He talked with about his sponsors, and then it was on to the Saudi conversation. So Claire has some very strong takes. Clearly, that was that was good. Um, wait, but let's mention just Tiger really quick. What's our Tiger takeaway from this week? The big cat. Tiger walked in with a smile on his face. He seemed to be strutting around just fine. Mm-hmm. It could be just what I saw, but when he left the media center, it felt like he wasn't walking quite as well after sitting in a chair and answering questions for mm. a half hour. Tiger is more than ever in the rest of his entire life setting the lowest expectations for yes. himself. It's remarkable. It really is. And I... I was appreciative that once he said all that stuff, every other media member besides Jim Nance was like, all right, we'll back off. Mm-hmm. We'll let you have your week as a host. You're you're in a bunch of meetings. You know, you're on the first tee announcing uh, Aaron Beverly. You're kind of playing a host role. We're going to let you do that, dude. Like, take your time. And I just hope fans treat Tiger similarly because we were not hounding Tiger for information this week until Jim Nance did the... <laughs> the interview on Saturday and kind of said, like, give us an update. Um, but it's not going to be soon. This dude is not ready to walk a a tournament's worth of golf holes. What I wanted to ask him and I didn't get a chance to is, like, what does it look like rehabbing to walk 72 holes? Does that mean you try and do an extra quarter mile each day? Yeah. Like, we don't know what that looks like. And your boy, Tiger, is a little tight-lipped on this stuff, likes to speak in, you know, kind of cliches and generics and not much more. So we don't know. I would, from where I sat, I don't think he's playing the Masters. Yeah. Which is fine. (laughs) I still can't figure it out because it's one of those things where, look, he, he can downplay it, he can downplay it. But if someone else kind of counts him out, then all of a sudden that's when he starts to bristle. Like you know what? When that's a good point. Because he got- Adam Shupak yes. said, well, look, if you thought about playing the, the Masters Par 3 contest, like, would you be able to gear up for that? And Tiger was like, well, I mean, I could do that right now. Like, <laughs> and then basically went off and was like talking about how it's the, you know, it's the emotional, mental preparation of getting ready to play tournament golf for four days, walking 72 holes plus practice rounds and... It was sort of like, all right, man. Well, we're we're just we're just sort of repeating back to yeah. you what what you're saying to us. Where's about, this oh, middle ground? So there has to be, you know, the truth lies somewhere in the middle, which is why I think it's not impossible that we'd see him at Augusta. I don't know. I mean, then there's well, he's just, gonna be there. He's gonna do the Champions Dinner. Oh, yeah, thing, he'll be there. Maybe he will do the par three contest. I I don't think he plays the par three contest unless I guess he just he probably won't do that at all. If he plays the real event, he wouldn't bother with walking around the par three contest and right. like wasting his energy. Right. Claire, you're our resident Tiger Woods expert. What did you read? Body language, uh, health wise. What were your observations? I know people who see him a lot were like, he's walking a little differently. I thought like energy wise and like looking at him, I thought he looked young. Mm. I thought he looked good. Um, I walked by him a few times one on one. He was seemed smiley he seemed good um i didn't see him at the end of the day yesterday so i can't speak on whether or not he was a little tight walking around but i don't know he did he looked like a healthy guy and i think compare him to where we saw him in the booth a year ago this weekend um he looked like a a new man yes now what is unfortunate is as we've discussed he's a pretty private man he spoke on wednesday of tournament week i believe that was the 16th of february and we probably won't hear him speak again 
until maybe at the Masters. Like, we won't get the updates that we want. He's not going to play the players. He's not going to play, you know, the Valspar or something in between. And so we're stuck waiting, right, with the unknown, the unknowable. Somebody we'll see on social media posting about his workout routine or something. So I guess we can just kind of keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, and... I just am going to be annoyed by it. Like, I just hope it, that's one benefit of this whole Saudi thing is, is if that <laughs> league didn't exist, we would be distracting ourselves by wondering when is Tiger coming back. And that's why it felt like a healthy week with us as media completely bothered with this rumored golf league and what every single player at this event cares about it and just leaving Tiger alone. We weren't, you know, analyzing how he was standing on the first tee when he was announcing the first tee shots of the event. It, it, it felt so healthy for me that we were leaving this guy alone for the first time in like 30 years. Yeah. It's probably good for, you know, it's hard to say what, what is positive for the PGA Tour going forward. It feels good for the PGA Tour that there has been this threat to its life you know maybe that's the sort of thing where where the tour gets energized Uh, i mean there's a lot happening behind the scenes right now they're talking about alternate uses for the fall portion of the schedule Um, there's obviously more money being pumped into it which you know doesn't really do anything for me but obviously makes the players happier Uh, this will end up being a positive for the pga tour provided it doesn't (laughs) wreck the pga tour yes Um, and that's a true what doesn't kill you makes you stronger situation, Sean. Totally. And, you know, a lot of people wrote about how competition is going to benefit the PGA Tour. Competition, the XFL, be as wacky as it was, it helped the NFL in some ways. It helped change the broadcast of the NFL. When, when FIFA had... Um, it's hopes for a super league. It wasn't FIFA, but it was these these English Premier League powers try and create a super league. Like that is all competitive ideas, trying to put money in the pockets of the people who own it or the people who deserve it. And even though they went about it in a very failed way, it still is a net positive for the English Premier League. And so competition helps, so long as it doesn't kill you, as you yeah. said. And I. Frankly, let's be honest. The tour has a ton of momentum right now, as we discussed. It's it's not going to get killed by the Saudi League. The Saudi League wants players to play both. Yeah, desperately. Jay Monahan doesn't want them to play both. Um, the only reason why a team league, uh, team series could happen in the fall, like Rex Hoggard reported for for Golf Channel, is because like. Who plays in the fall? Like, is that the, the tour's best product? No, it's actually the worst product of, of the tour. So let's do something with it. Let's take this idea that the Premier League and the Saudi League have broached forward. Let's let's act like Facebook when Snapchat came along and let's just do what they were going to do. That's <laughs> how these gigantic corporations, whether it's right or wrong, they become better and bigger and they try to improve their product by taking ideas from other people. Again, who knows if it's right or wrong? Who knows if the PGA Tour is a monopoly? Who knows if there are antitrust lawsuits that could be coming? All that stuff matters, but the tour at the, at the end of the day is the monolith that no one is really going to take out. 
For now, though, definitely advantage PGA Tour. Um, Bryson and DJ felt like felt they felt like linchpins to some extent of of the immediate future of the Saudi league. How long they're now going to lay low for the Saudis? <laughs> that's going to be what what's interesting to track. Um, what the heck Phil is going to say next? Where's Phil going to play Where next? Is he going to pop up? Is like it, his move, and I'm not convinced that he has any idea either because <laughs> clearly he he overplayed his hand on both ends here um he went too hard at the pga tour he went too hard at the saudis i mean he's got a real potential to just get stuck in no man's land and kind of be without a home and you know at a certain this point is... you go from being one of the most powerful people in golf to suddenly yeah you are you are a 50 something golfer past your prime and suddenly pissed off the most powerful people in the game and arguably some of the more powerful people in the world they'll they'll have him on the champions tour pretty happily they will um this is uncle phil man like this is the this is the american golf dad he's teflon phil too and he has more than probably anybody like just an absurd amount of fans that we said last week he had built up over time. There's no one on the tour who he didn't shove his thumb, you know, in front of. Yeah. He was giving thumbs up to everyone. He was Phil. He was lefty. He was the lefty modern version of Seve in some ways, doing crazy recovery shots, winning majors and becoming vulnerable and losing majors. Like, this guy had built up a really high standing in the game. And like we said last week, it's not like bulletproof it can crumble it feels like it, it it's slowly crumbling on golf twitter which yeah. is a, its own little niche part of the the golf audience but well and we're prisoners of the moment too sure. to especially on twitter that's basically why twitter exists is to to get uh extra caught up in the moment but yeah we we've sort of thought that things are going to undo phil before <laughs> that's um, there true. were little moments like I mean, for sure in 2014, the Ryder Cup fallout. For sure uh, in 2018 at Shinnecock when he sort of flipped the metaphorical middle finger at the USGA. And stuff does bounce off the guy. And I think to the casual sports fan, they're probably still only generally aware that any of this is going on. And so, you know, if they show up at the whatever it is, Champions Tour event in their local town and Phil's there, they're going to be fired up. Um, but yeah, at a certain point to paraphrase Billy Horschel today, uh, his legacy could be, you know, could be changing a little bit. Yeah. One thing I do want to know is like the, the popular quote that was shared around all weekend, it ended with what I think is Phil's core beliefs is that whether the money comes from the drop zone or from the Saudi government, mm -hmm. he believes that they are the vehicle through which he can change modern golf, change the face of the PGA Tour, change pro golf as it currently exists for a positive. And I don't think he is off his rocker to think that. I think that's important here. Um, I do understand what's happening. I do understand why people are using the word sports washing. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Yeah. I just... I do think if you boil it down at some level, Phil is trying to do 
something good for what he he believes will benefit the game. Now, you got to choose your vehicles wisely. Yeah, and we're not sure that he did. I think he he clearly didn't. I mean, it, it's it's one thing to stay kind of agnostic and stick to the line that a lot of these players have used of like, look, I'm just a golfer. I'm not a politician. Whatever. I don't yeah. think about this stuff. Phil revealed in this interview with Shipnick that he knows he gets all of it. He understands the geopolitics. He is aware of the, you know, morality issues. And then he's just going for it anyway. Yeah. Full transparency. Yeah. He can't really claim ignorance of the issue anymore. Nope. And I think that is the crux of why this moment feels like such a turning point of like, Yikes. Our, so that's how you feel. We can't just, yeah, we're not just stumbling around in the dark here. Phil is saying, look, I know exactly what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it. Yep. Whether he does know what he's doing or not, I mean, I cannot wait time for his tell, next tweet. I cannot wait for his next tweet. All right, Sean, now we've got something fun. Uh, an interview with our good mate, Evan Priest, who's an Australian golf journalist uh, and also now has recorded a 13-part podcast series with steve williams tiger woods's longtime caddy so i mean this is pretty cool uh because it's so different i mean steve williams sure he has he's been in the golf public eye for a long time but he's mostly pretty reclusive these days yeah he and tiger had a very close relationship which had a turbulent ending uh like a lot of player caddy relationships do but now it sounds like steve is ready to think back on the good times yeah. so i interviewed evan um for you know about 15 minutes just about the podcast about the process behind it about what it was like uh to get steve on the record and uh, i think you'll enjoy so give a listen we have finally bridged the time zone gap here i'm here with evan priest who is calling in from australia evan what city are you in specifically I'm in Sydney right now, uh, which is normally known for its beautiful weather, a bit like Los Angeles, but it's actually pissing down rain at the moment, so not the most ideal place. But yeah, it's a beautiful city. Probably the best in, in Australia, I'd say. All right, and Evan, you have uh, impressively corralled one of the more fascinating, more mysterious figures in golf, Steve Williams, longtime caddy to Tiger Woods. You have, I believe, recorded a 13-episode podcast series with him. Does this podcast have a name yet? It does. It's called Chasing Majors because I just felt like, you know, it's the ultimate end goal of professional golf is to chase majors. So it sort of, you know, opens me up to do other series with other people, professional golfers, caddies, you know, whoever else. So, yeah, kind of settled on that name. It's nice and short and sharp. And my first question for you, Evan, is just how, how is it that you became the guy that could get Steve to talk? Like, what is it about the the relationship that you've built up with Steve? Um you know, I know geographically you guys are from relatively similar areas, but not quite the same. Um, so how is it that you made this happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Like you make a good point in that it's definitely easier to be able to pull this off being an Australian and, and he's a Kiwi. So there's a lot of cultural similarities there that kind of bond us before we even start talking. But I guess um, it was during the Adam Scott year. So, so I, as you know, I'm a, a journalist on the PGA Tour covering sort of the Aussies on on tour and and through that I got to know Steve while he was still caddying for Adam Scott so I I first came on tour towards the back end of of Steve's time with Adam 
And I just, for some, for whatever reason, I, I just got along with him really well. I, I seemed to vibe similar to what he does. I knew when to sort of have some chit chat and ask a question. And I knew when to shut up and let him and Adam either practice or navigate a practice round. And I think he appreciated that. So I always sort of had a really good rapport with him, even when he sort of eventually came back and caddied for Jason Day for a hot minute there. And I just stayed in touch with him. Every now and then, if I was writing a Tiger feature or a Steve-specific feature, I'd, I'd get in touch with him. And we just maintained a relationship. And then, um, you know, you, Americans, you guys have probably seen on the news some of the harsh lockdowns that we went through in Australia sort of uh, in 2021. And this was just a lockdown passion project for me. I I knew that I had a good relationship with Steve and I sort of, for whatever reason, just one day decided, oh, nobody's ever sat Steve Williams down for a podcast series and said, let's go through, you know, your time with Tiger in whatever format you want to do. And I just thought, why not go through each major win? Because they were so iconic. You can't really condense them into one or two episodes. That was sort of only skim the surface of their incredible partnership. So I emailed, I gave him a call and I said, what do you think? And he was like, great. And we started doing it. And it kind of got me through the last five or six weeks of these brutal lockdowns in Sydney. And it was, I've sort of come out with this, this passion project that I'm like, I'm so excited to give the golf world for no other reason in that it's just another lens to view Tiger Woods through. Yeah, it's funny. There were a lot of unfinished projects that got started, I think, during COVID, during people's quarantines, <laughs> but you have actually completed this. I'm wondering if it was easy to keep Steve on task. Like, was he was he regretful in the, the 10th, 11th, 12th hour of recording that he had signed <laughs> up for this? Or what was his reaction? Did it become enjoyable for him? No, it, it was really enjoyable for him. The only time he regretted it was when there was one episode where we got 10 minutes into it and I'd actually forgotten to hit record. <laughs> so he was Ball like asking like a really, uh, you know, like sturdy caddy who, who's rigorously on time and known for being punctual. And for me to not hit record, I was just waiting for the look on his face. And thankfully it wasn't too bad. And so we started again. Uh, we had a good laugh about that. And he actually, when he did that, he made like the like the action sign that like a Hollywood producer would do. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, he, I think he got as much out of it as I did. And, and I say that because the, the the nature of Tiger Woods was always focusing on the next tournament. And I don't think Steve really ever got to hit the pause button and soak up what he'd achieved sort of until now. And I say that knowing that he wrote an autobiography. Um, but I think when he wrote that autobiography, I, I don't know if that conveyed, first of all, it wasn't only about Tiger, it was about Greg Norman, it was about Adam Scott. Um, so I didn't go as deep into Tiger and some of the majors that they want to um, specifically, but uh, I, I think enough time has passed now that he's just I'm absolutely enamored with Tiger. He still loves him like a friend, um, and he just absolutely respects his work ethic and what he's achieved in the game of golf. And so now I think was the perfect time to sit Steve down, and I could see him like just the nostalgia on on his face. You know, he was he was so appreciative of what he was able to achieve with Tiger, and um, yeah, I, I think he enjoyed sort of relaying that all as much as I enjoyed asking those questions. Yeah. And so, I mean, this would be a, a good time to remind people for the first time, uh, once you stop listening to this podcast, go and download Chasing Majors. I assume we're going to be able to get it on all major podcast platforms, yep. Evan. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Right, so Spotify, Apple. Yep. And I've just listened to the first three episodes right now, and it's a particularly enjoyable listen. I mean, not not least of which because it's just enjoyable for Americans to hear uh, just a and nice, 
long form conversation between an Aussie and a Kiwi, the, the <laughs> accents alone are worth the listen, but also because of the insight you get into, um, into Steve Williams and then by extension, Tiger Woods. And I was really taken by what you, what you just said there, Evan. And it strikes me that Steve probably never got the closure that you would expect, um, after such a, I mean, such a wild career and friendship and relationship with Tiger Woods. Do you think that that's part of the reason that he was eager to, to chat? Yeah, 100%. I think, um, it w- I'm not going to call it therapy, but I think him talking out those memories really reminded him of how great those times were. And, and it definitely helped him close the book in a way. So by the time we got to the 13th episode, we were both a bit like, oh shit, like, is that it? Like, I want to keep doing this, you know, like, we're enjoying spending an hour or so together every week um, over these calls, but we're also enjoying reliving the glory days of the, the greatest golfer who's ever lived. So, yeah, I think closure is a really good word that you use there. It definitely allowed him to kind of summarize his time and put an underline under it and say, hey, this is what I did. It was so cool and I'm so grateful for it, despite what happened in the months or years after he, he ended things with Tiger. But he's now able to sit back and say, you know what, I was a part of history. I don't want you to give anything away because I want people to go and listen to the podcast for themselves. But what what are some of the uh, types of stories and types of insights that Steve gave you? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I found some of the best stories would come like in the in the build up to the, to a major. So the thirteen episodes obviously focus on each of the majors he won with Tiger from the ninety nine PGA to the two thousand eight US Open. But sometimes these random stories would come out of nowhere, and I won't give anything away. But there's a incident involving a helicopter in thailand in 2000 during the johnny walk classic that i was just like holy where did that story come from i've never heard that um and then some of the stories that surprised me were like the discussions internally amongst team tiger about chasing jack's 18 majors what tiger's actual number in mind was and the the moments in time where they started to believe it was possible and they kind of started to write it down and that's another great story and then just just like getting to know tiger through certain things like certain habits on the golf course or what he'd keep in his golf bag. There's so much sprinkled in there, just little nuggets for, for for golf fans and for Tiger fans. It's obviously pretty difficult to get any new information on Tiger, right? Like he's the most written, talked about athlete maybe ever. But I do, I did think I did an okay job of getting some, extracting some little nuggets out of there that'll keep you listening, keep you enjoying it. And it was um, like, I hope for the listeners, it's as much fun for them as it was for me to do. Yeah. One of the things that I was struck by right away is, you know, we just think of the Tiger Woods machine as being uh, so guarded and so, so carefully curated. I mean, we've both spent quite a bit of time kind of walking around with Tiger Woods and, and following the whole, circus. Uh, the whole <laughs> tour that, yeah, the circus that is Tiger and his team and what he'll say and what he won't say. Steve just seemed very matter of fact. And I think that's probably a credit to him being comfortable with you and trusting you. But my sense is that he wasn't really holding anything back. And and I'm sure that there's some stories that he would keep to himself. But uh, do you think that that holds true throughout the series that he was just kind of an open book with you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would say so. I don't want to pretend that no golf rider hasn't ever sat Steve down before and, and got him in a candid setting. And, I, and I'm very respectful of the great golf riders and presenters who have interviewed Steve before over the many years. But for whatever reason, he just seemed to let his guard down with me. And, and I was able to ask the right questions that extracted some really good stories. But I'm not the star of the show here whatsoever. It, it's Steve, the experiences he's had and the things he's been able to achieve and, and help great golfers achieve 
that's what the listeners are going to enjoy. But I mean, to answer your question, I, I think he just misses golf. I think he genuinely misses the game. And, and this 13 hour trip down memory lane was his way of reconnecting with the golf world. So he was also really funny in that he'd get on a roll. So if I asked a question and that triggered a really good memory, a domino would fall and all of a sudden these all these other stories would come rush into his head and it was like, I'm, I'm a golf nerd myself here, so I'm just enjoying this as much as everyone else is. But So sometimes you had to flirt the line between, you know, super fan you're, and, you're and an sort of journalist. You're uh, Tiger Woods fan um, and I think have been for most of your golfing life. Mm-hmm. Did your opinion of Tiger Woods change? Did you become uh, more of a fan? Did you have a more complex view of Tiger Woods? Uh, how did your you know, relationship to Tiger Woods changed through this. Yeah, I would say it, it may be a much bigger Tiger Woods fan. 100% of the words that came out of Steve's mouth were positive and were, you know, gushing about Tiger Woods. And, and it just helped helped you understand Tiger that little bit more, you know, just like I just mentioned before, little habits, little anecdotes, jokes between Steve and Tiger. Um, they had their own kind of language, like they would they would famously sort of say to each other, if they were meeting the next day for a practice round or a range session or whatever, they would say dawn 30, you know, as the time. So it was just like whenever the sun came up half an hour after that is when they'd meet. And so you just got these little insights into Tiger's life. And there was one moment where, and I won't, again, I won't give too much away, but there was a story about Tiger as it relates to prize money on the PGA Tour and and, and also traveling overseas and playing events overseas. And I was just like, holy shit. That, that makes me such a bigger Tiger fan than I was five minutes ago. So I, I think, and I would hope that by listening to this series, you'll become a bigger Tiger Woods fan and, and a bigger Steve Williams fan for that matter. And you don't even have to say what the what the relationship is, but do you guys get into, um, you know, Tiger and Steve now and, and you know, how how their relationship has evolved. I mean, I don't think they, they just don't see much of each other. Tiger's not a great communicator to people that he's not around daily. I would say, do you guys talk about that at all and how that evolved? No, not at all. We, we didn't talk about present day just because it was pretty obvious to me. And, and I felt it would be pretty obvious to most golf fans that, you know, he's retired, he's down there in New Zealand, Tiger's over in America doing his thing. And, you know, it was a pretty obvious question that like, they don't really have a relationship anymore. But I also got the sense that the way that Steve was so gushing and glowing about Tiger that he's just, he still loves him. I really think he still loves him as a professional, as a as a friend, all that sort of stuff. So I, it was like one of those questions I didn't think needed to be answered or, or even asked. Yeah. And it's probably something that continues to come across as, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of um, sort of inspiring that Steve can just look past, you know, the details of whatever recent years and the way things ended and just be so, so gushing and so wholeheartedly positive about the whole relationship. I mean, that makes me feel good about the whole thing. Yeah. And, and you know what, I would give huge credit to Adam Scott for that. I think, I think when you sort of split with someone in a professional sense, if, if you were to move on to someone who accomplished great things as well, it definitely reminded steve that he is a great caddy and it wasn't all just tiger that steve did contribute to some of that performance and moving on to adam and helping him win the masters helping him win at at akron um it just sort of it helped um, steve get over tiger a little bit I i would say that's just my reading it's not what steve said but um yeah the way that he was able to sort of jump ship to a great golfer and really help adam scott to the best years of his career i think that helped settle the dust and then now I think enough time has passed where Steve can just really appreciate what 
he said rather than let the emotions of the split sort of get to him, which which maybe could have happened at the time. Is there any major championship that you didn't really expect to be, you know, so intrigued by or, or maybe didn't even remember that well that, that yes. suddenly jumps out and you're like, whoa, that was really cool. Yes, 2000, uh, 2007 PGA at, at um, Southern Hills. And I just like, you know, it's not one of the sexiest majors in the timeline of Tiger Woods and it certainly gets lost amongst the, you know, the 2000 season, the 2005 Masters, that sort of stuff. And then I just, when I was researching for it, um, I didn't realize it was basically the hottest major that's ever been played. Like it was, you know, pushing 115 degrees for you guys every day and the humidity was high and it was Tiger's sort of a guy who can sweat a little bit too. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's, he sweats, he sweats for America. So, um, <laughs> and it also, that episode was a great excuse to talk about the Rory Sabatini, um, Tiger kind of, I wouldn't call it a war of words cause it was quite one-sided, but it, it was like, that was a really cool part of the buildup. And yeah, just, just the way that Tiger won around that golf course in that kind of heat, I just forgot that Tiger loved to win under certain conditions. Like he considered that like a, a macho thing or like a feather in his cap. Okay, I've won, you know, the return to Hoy Lake. I've won the hottest major ever. I won the 100th US Open at Pebble Beach. So it was just one of those things that he can say, hey guys, yeah, I, I won the hottest major ever. So that, that kind of hit me by surprise. All right. Well, we won't make you give away anymore because, uh, I, you know, I know that Tiger fans and golf fans will be excited to really just dive into this. Uh, tell me how, how this is being released. The general format, is it coming out all at once or, or gradually over time? Yeah. So the plan is to release two episodes a week in the seven weeks leading up to the masters this year. And there'll, there'll actually be a 14th episode, a bonus episode, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So the timeline is just a nice drop where if you're following along, you get to digest a couple of episodes per week. Um, but if you want to wait until the end and then binge them all at your leisure, then seven weeks isn't too long to wait. So I really hope golf fans enjoy it. All right. So Evan Priest will be back in America. He will have a fully released podcast. Uh, you can find him on social media at Evan Priest. And uh, mostly go download Chasing Majors on your preferred podcast platform. Evan, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, man. All right, folks. That was myself, Dylan DeChair, and Evan Priest uh, talking about Steve Williams. And honestly, I felt felt my heart a little bit warmed thinking of that. I mean, I know that Steve and Tiger have, have uh, certainly been through it, uh, that their relationship is complex, that they're in, you know, different places geographically, um, and in terms of, you know, just the stuff that they've been through. But to to see someone like Steve put that in the past and, you know, I guess just be able to enjoy the good times for what they were, it's pretty cool. That's going to do it for this week's episode of The Drop Zone. Check out our friends at radmoregolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com. Uh, so you can match your, your favorite co-hosts. And we will see you next week. 